Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 96 of UFO Encounters Worldwide. This is your host, Jesse Peak, MUFON field investigator in the state of Pennsylvania, city of Philadelphia. Today, we have a very special episode for you. We have special guest Mike Barra coming on to discuss the truth behind the moon landings, the ancient astronaut theory, and the secret space programs. So we have a lot of information to go over today. So strap on them seatbelts, we're going for a ride. Hello everybody and welcome to episode 96 of UFO Encounters Worldwide. This is your host, Jesse Peak, MUFON field investigator in the state of Pennsylvania, city of Philadelphia. And today's episode is sponsored by the new book by Kevin J. Briggs, Spiritual Consciousness, A Personal Journey. You can go and get that over at our website at ufoencountersworldwide.wordpress.com. Today, I'm sitting down with special guest, Mike Barra. Mike, welcome to the show. Hey, Jesse. Thank you for having me. I appreciate being here. Absolutely. I've been wanting to have this conversation with you for a while. Um, I've been a fan of Ancient Aliens for a very long time. Um, you know, all the different shows you've been on, UFOs. Um, yeah. So this yeah. Is And I've been out there to Pennsylvania for one of your uh, MUFON meetings, one of your uh, uh, showcases out there. Like oh, okay. 2016. 2016. Yeah, it was, it was great. Really enjoyed it. Yeah, it's a, that's a pretty nice conference in PA. So it's nice for sure. Um, that would have been cool if I'd have known you were there. I would have came. <laughs> <laughs> all right. But uh, I guess let's kick it off. I, I kind of asked everybody, you know, uh, how you got your start in the field of ufology, because I know you were an engineer designer for a while. You were a consultant for aerospace. Um, was that how you got your start or was it something different? Uh, no, it was it was my whole life. I mean, you know, from the time that I can remember my first memories of anything I ever saw on television, I, I'm pretty sure were like uh, Gemini launches, NASA launches. That's that's I was just fascinated with space and alien life and uh sci-fi and stuff from the time i was a little kid and i'm, I'm one of those people that like you know I, i'm not like somebody that oh i watched star trek and lost in space and i got interested in ufos and space <laughs> and aliens it's exactly the opposite i watched lost in space and star trek because i was already interested in okay. ufos and aliens so it's like i was born this way and then you know you move on into your your school years and your adult life and you get busy and you get a mortgage and you get car payments and you get distracted. But, you know, along about the age of 30, you start thinking, what kind of an impact am I going to make in the world? And, and I really wanted to make an impact in, in the, the world of ufology and stuff. And about that same time, I came across a guy named Richard C. Hoagland yes. who doing research on the face on Mars and Sidonia and artificial structures on the moon. And I was like, this attracts me. It attracts my engineer's brain, you know, part of my brain, because it's provable. At least at the time, I naively thought that if we got good enough pictures, that we'd win the argument. But unfortunately, that's not the case. We have spectacular pictures of artificial stuff, and you still have these morons arguing that it's that's not that's natural, <laughs> you know. And I'm like, okay, you're crazy. And you just realize at some point you're dealing with crazy people. But that's how it all started for me. And uh, by, you know, a series of um, not coincidences, I ended up uh, connecting with Hoagland and working with him, writing for him on his website. And then we wrote Dark Mission and everything kind of took off. I started doing conferences. Everything took off from there. So Yeah, Dark Mission is an excellent book. That was one of the first ones I bought about the, the, the face of Mars and everything and everything. I, that's how I got into it. So It's about every, yeah, it's about literally everything. Right. 
Yeah, great, great information. And I definitely recommended that book to a couple of the people that I work with. Um, so definitely great work there. Um, be nice to get it signed one day when I see you. <laughs> okay, sure. Yeah, um, sure. But yeah, uh, so you wrote Dark Mission. You wrote a couple different books on ancient aliens and the moon. Um, and uh, tomorrow is the Apollo uh, anniversary of Apollo 11. Um, yeah. So you, you said you were going to be doing some things with this, right? Well, yeah, over on my Twitter feed on, um, it's at Mike Barra 333. This is like my, my ninth or 10th um, Twitter account because oh, of all man. the censorship going on in the, on the internet right now. But uh, it's at Mike Barra 333 and that's capital M and capital B. So M-I-K-E-B-A-R-A with two capitals. Um, and I'm just, I said, look, anybody has any questions about the moon landings, come on in and ask me questions. And then, you know, I, I've gotten a lot of questions, only one or only like four or five, 10 people have been asking, but hopefully that'll get some more penetration and I'll, I'll be able, well, is that the right word? It'll get some <laughs> more uh, attention. And that's, um, you know, that's what we're, I, I'm just trying to answer people's questions because I think one of the worst, um, one of the worst things that's out there is this idea that we didn't go to the moon, which is, it's really interesting because, you know, you know, the Y files, have you heard of that show, the Y files? No, I haven't. Yeah. Oh, the Y files, you said. I'm sorry. Yes. Yeah. It's, it's a great show. And, it, you know, AJ Gentili and he's got his little sidekick there, Hecklefish. And, you know, I, I've been writing for them a little bit and I wrote them an episode on the moon landings, um, which they're going to air tomorrow night. So check that out. Oh, wow. That's awesome. And, you know, AJ changes a lot of what he adds a lot to what I already write, but, um, you know, that'll be really interesting uh, to see what he comes up with because uh, he always, you know, he always improves what I give him, which is really, really cool. So I would, I would encourage everybody to check that out. I was actually just introduced to the Y files last week. So that's actually pretty weird that you just bought it up now. Oh, really? Yeah. 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 Well, you know, I mean, he used, um, <laughs> I, you know, there's this character hecklefish right who's a goldfish and a bull that heckles him the whole time it's a sidekick and uh, you know i wrote i wrote some jokes and he he used one of my jokes and i, I was just like i was really happy about that because that's cool uh, that's it, it awesome. is a very talented guy and it's a great show because because he's very um serious about being factual and and you know sticking with what the what we can prove what we you know not speculating without calling it speculation there's a lot of that in the ufo community a Absolutely. lot of people will speculate and pretend like they're talking from position of authority yeah. or knowledge and they're really not. Um, so he's very fastidious about that. And so am I, I mean, I'm in this for the truth. I'm not in this necessarily for the attention, although I don't mind it, but for the attention or the notoriety or the, or a little bit of money that you can make doing this. Um, and I like the fact that he's very dedicated to the truth and getting to the bottom of stuff. And he's, you know, he's helped expose, a lot of uh, stories that aren't really very true and he's, he's put a lot of information out there so i think it's a great channel for people that are into this subject to check out on youtube yeah and i think he had a he had a really good variety of a bunch of different stuff that went on in the field so you could definitely get your bearings of the ufo ufo field by checking out his videos, oh yeah yeah i mean you can cool. you know and they're just like well i don't really want to cover roswell because it's been done a million times and yep. what can we add to it and i so, well, I can add something to it, which he didn't use. But I said, look, there needs to be a Roswell episode of the Y Files. You know, there <laughs> needs to be. There used to be a Bermuda Triangle episode of the Y Files. So I'm starting to get some some influence on him. And, and you know, I mean, he does a great job. I mean, he went really through, you know, the Roswell case is so fascinating. 
I mean, how can you how can you discount the Ramey memo? You know, that that part of the case is so it's indisputable. It's pretty indisputable what it says on this memo and the fact that he was holding it out there so it could be photographed. Right. I mean, it's really, really clear that that Ramey's trying was trying to get the truth out to people. Absolutely. And, you know, and then and then in that episode, he reconstructed the, the Roswell timeline of events. And you look at it, and it's very clear something really highly unusual went on there. And it, it was not a weapon. So yeah. anyway, that's what I like about the channel. And I'm really glad to be be working with them and helping them out. That's so fun. So uh, to the moon landings, one of my favorite parts of, of um, Buzz Aldrin being up there on the moon was the transmissions um, when they were on the moon and, and uh, NASA was getting upset with them because they were talking live um, about the, the ridge that they had seen and objects that were up there watching them on the moon. Um, do you, are you familiar with that? I'm not sure you are. Yeah. Yeah. I'm familiar with the story. Um, I I've seen, I think that came, if I'm not mistaken, from Maurice Chatelaine. Is that correct? Is that do you remember? I'm not sure where it came from, but I do. Yeah. I do remember it started at, at off the live feed, and then NASA cut them off, and then ham radio operators continued the conversation that they were being watched by some something or someone, and there was actually craft sitting on the ridge overlooking yeah. them as they were doing their research, which was really yeah. interesting. Yeah, that's supposedly the story. I don't. I I don't think I've ever heard for a fact the live transmission part where they start talking about it. I don't think I've heard that. Um, I'd be interested in anybody sending me a webpage where that takes place, but I will tell you this about that particular story. Uh, I have a friend named Ken Johnston Jr. who's done a lot of stuff on the moon. He actually trained all the Apollo astronauts to fly the lunar module. Wow. Okay. So he, you know, he was a contractor with uh, uh, Grumman. He was a former F-4 Phantom fighter pilot. In the Marines, and his job was to train the, these guys how to fly the LEM and use the LEM simulator. And so he knew them all. And he was at NASA at the time of Apollo 11. And he and Marvin Zarnick, another guy that I worked with on Dark Mission, if you've read Dark Mission, you've probably heard of Marv, Marv Zarnick. He was an expert on, on celestial mechanics and friend of Buzz Aldrin's. And he, he said that that story was shooting around NASA like wildfire within 30 minutes of them landing on the moon. So to me, that gives it a lot of credence. The fact that guys who worked there remember it being openly discussed in the halls of NASA the day of the landing indicates to me that it's probably a true story, but I do have to say, I don't think there's any solid evidence of it. Right, right. Yeah, I don't think they have the the, the actual recording of it. Um, no. I know yeah. that I'm reading a book now, um, Actually, David Hatcher Childress co-wrote it, um, and they actually had the word-for-word word of the of the transmission and what was yeah. said, um, which was really crazy to see that it was actually said on live, and they ignored NASA completely and just kept talking about it. And it, yeah. it just makes you think that you know if, if they were watching us then, you know they're definitely watching us here on Earth, and it kind of plays into the whole aspect that we are being watched over by something. Yeah, or someone. I, I think that I think that story originally came from this uh, Marie Chatelaine who used to work uh, from. I don't remember if he was a Frenchman or not, but he used to work. Um, he used to work for NASA, and I think that story really came from him. So okay, yeah, interesting guy, but um, so yeah. USA astronaut UFO report. Yeah. Okay. I think he was the guy who started it. They're the anyway, best. Go ahead. They're the best kind of observers for sure. You know, that's what they're right. trained to do. So 
definitely take their word for it when they're astronauts. Um, but so I've seen a lot of different articles about this and I, I was never really sure if it's true or not, but you know, we get photos, really good photos of <clears throat> Mars and planets now. And, um, it was said that a lot of the photos taken when the moon landings occurred were doctored up. So things weren't able to be seen by the public. Um, do you have any information on that whatsoever? Well, I mean, I think it depends on what you mean by doctored. Um, you know, I have heard stories. Again, Ken Johnston, you know, was in charge of the photo lab, the Lunar Receiving Laboratory, um, after the Apollo missions and, and during, the, during the later part of the Apollo missions. Because once, once the astronauts were trained, his job was kind of over. So he got a job at the Lunar Receiving Laboratory. And he tells stories of, you know, he was, had a, was late for a meeting. And so he cut through, you know, the Photoshop back in those days when they were like, you know, processing film, they were actually developing stuff. And he said, he walked through there and he saw artists sitting at tables, airbrushing stuff out of negatives. Okay. Now, having said that, you look at some photos from Apollo and you see that, oh, the, the crosshairs, you know, these little crosshairs, these resume marks um, that were helped to, designed to help them align stuff. And, um, and they would like, you know, blur into the white astronaut suit sometimes and things like that. Well, that's, that's because they did back in the day, they actually did do some touching up. They had artists come in and cover those kinds of things up and fix things so that they would look really good in right. National Geographic or Look Magazine or Life Magazine. Because remember back in the day, that's how most Americans got their media. It was actually through these big, bright, colorful magazines. So these are press release photos that were, you know, touched up a little bit to make them look better. And that was very common in the 50s and 60s and 70s and 80s, even before they, before Photoshop came along. So that was actually, you know, fairly benign what, what they were doing with that stuff. But he said he saw them airbrushing negatives of like orbital photography. Hmm showing stuff in the sky and you know you never do that like the like let's say there's a photo of buzz aldrin on the moon on apollo 11 and they take out the reason marks so it looks really good and clean and it's going to look fantastic on the cover of life magazine right right, right. Which, it, which it did that's one thing but you never alter the negative because the negative is your original database it's your scientific database right so for him to have seen them doing that indicates there were some issues now None of that stuff is got anything to do, do with not going to the moon. It's like, yeah, we went there and oh crap, look, there's, there's spaceships and there's ruins and there's pyramids and we got to get these things out of these pictures. So, you know, I think that's a, that's, that's a completely different thing. And people look at this and they see the alterations and they're like, well, that's because they faked the whole thing and we never went. And that's, that's not true. It was really to cover up what they in fact saw. Okay. That makes a lot of sense. I didn't even think about that with the um, airbrushing to touch them up for National Geographic and things like that. But like you said, with yeah. the negatives, that's, that's a little odd. Yeah, you would do that with a print, but you'd never do it to a negative. <laughs> yeah. that's, your, that's your source data. And, Absolutely. you know, of course, Ken tells the story, too, that he was ordered in 72. to. There were four copies of all of the handheld photography that the astronauts took on every Apollo mission. We're talking tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of photographs. He was ordered to destroy all the copies. Wow. 
which makes no sense whatsoever. He begged them to just let him, you know, give them to different colleges or universities around the country. They said, no, you must destroy them. And that smacks of a cover up. Because if you look at if you look at the original photograph, well, what happened is Ken kept Ken kept hundreds of photographs for himself, and he he put a bunch more of them in uh, to Oklahoma City University, his alma mater's library. He donated them to them, so he disobeyed the orders. A lot of those ones at Oklahoma City University got got stolen. He thinks by an astronomy professor that was there. Okay, but um, the others were destroyed. And it, that's tragic because when you look at the original eight by 10 glossies that a lot of people have, because they pass these things out like, you know, like, like a matchbook back in the sixties, you know, here, right. you want a book, bought, bought a book of matches with my restaurant logo on it. Right. <laughs> you know, they just gave to everybody. When you look at people that still have these photos and compare them to what's scanned online, what's online is completely sanitized. I mean, you can see in these photos, you can see structures, bridges, pyramids, buildings, um, UFO, a spacecraft, what looks like flying saucers and tanks and, and drilling equipment and just stuff everywhere. And it's, um, you know, it's really quite extraordinary. And th there's a difference. And what they were trying to do was to, you know, suppress the distribution of this imagery because nobody had time or budget to go over every single photograph right and see what might be on it and oh well we can't put that out there's a pyramid sitting right there on the moon so that was really a complicated uh, process and they wanted to narrow it down to just one database that they could then control okay. and that so unfortunately i think the official record that we have now is is a sanitized version of of what really was what was really photographed right and that's what i was going to bring up to you because i had seen a documentary where a gentleman was comparing original photos to what was online and it looked like it was touched up digitally you know what i mean and objects were oh, definitely yeah. not the same whatsoever um, yeah. and same same thing with some of the photos taken by astronauts when they were orbiting earth and, and things like that um, and it's a shame because it's like really good you know evidence of possible you know crash flying outside in our in space <laughs> mm -hmm. you know so it's pretty cool um and it's a shame that we don't have those today to be able to use in the field which would be great um yeah you know and i just think most of the secrecy was to cover up what they actually saw what they actually found it wasn't covering up that we never went i i mean we did go and these guys these guys risked their lives absolutely uh, almost didn't come back you know buzz buzz and neil almost didn't come back i know yeah. No, so that's crazy. So you had written um, Ancient Aliens on the Moon, um, which is about the artificial structures on the moon. Um, what are some of like some of the, the big ones that we, we, we should know about that are up there that, that you, you have seen? Well, I think some of the best ones to look at are Richard Hoagland's original work on what, what they call the Tower and the Shard, um, which are basically he just overexposed the You know, he saw something. On these images and he said well what's going on here and he just overexposed the background and this is all done by the way with analog photography right it was all done with light boards and exposures of the negatives that he got because back then back in the uh, 90s you could still order the negatives uh from nasa archives yeah <laughs> official nasa which you can't anymore i know um so it wasn't done with photoshop and you know you see these towering structures five six seven miles high over the horizon 
sometimes and they're aligned with the local vertical and you know they make engineering sense and so you see this sort of crystalline glass type of structure that i think is really uh fascinating stuff and then you've got on the back side of the moon there's something i spent a lot of time on that was near the crater daedalus and i, I call it the daedalus ziggurat because it looks it looks almost identical to like the iraqi ziggurat at ur which is um you know, in Iraq, which is which is bizarre, but it's like the same kind of architecture. And yet here it is near this crater on the, the backside of the moon taken by Apollo 11, one of the astronauts as they were leaving, you know, lunar orbit. And, and you look at other pictures and it's there in all of them. And, and it's just, it's really quite an extraordinary structure. And the, that came about because there was a guy named KK Samurai who in the late nineties, got a bunch of pictures from a guy named Frank and it was the same thing. Frank's father or grandfather had worked at NASA and he had all these prints and he had a print of this one image, 5564, that I forget the full frame number. But he was like, that looks like a pyramid or, you know, we call it a ziggurat. Right. But that looks like a pyramid. What, what the hell is that doing there? And, and then he noticed it was completely different from what was on the NASA websites. So those kinds of mysteries are really fascinating. And, and then on that same image, there's, if you look up in a corner, you can see where they photoshopped the sky above this area. But, um, you know, there's this thing in a bunker, in a hangar, it looks like a flying saucer. Really? A big, gigantic flying saucer with landing gear and everything just sitting there. And I'm like, oh, huh. holy crap. They really need to take a good look at this one. So I don't think I've don't seen know. that There's one just yet. just all kinds of cool stuff. And then also, I, I, I want to um, mention uh, Alan Sturm, who has a book out called Lunomalies. He does great work. So he's got a lot of great stuff. Okay. And where would you recommend that, that we can go to actually look at these original photos? Is there a place that we can do that? Um, well, you can go to... Go to my website, or you can pick up the books, mikebarrett.blogspot.com, or you can pick up the books. Um, again, the problem is, is that if you look up these images on online, a lot of them have been altered. Right, uh, right. So I would say go through Ancient Aliens on the Moon, pick up Alan Sturm's book. Um, you know, there's all kinds of uh, uh, you know book, books and things you can pick up, and, and that's really the place to look for it. Okay, awesome. Uh, I'd like to... Um, you know, I mean, I'd like to be able to do a really expensive, high-quality documentary on this. And, and um, you know, Darcy Weir has put out some really cool videos. Yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, we recently did um, recently did an episode uh, or, or a documentary for him. I think it's on Netflix. It's called Moon UFOs or something like that. I forget the exact title. I think it's on my IMDb, but uh, yeah. Go go look that up. Yeah, he, he just actually just sent that to me. He sends when he puts them out, he sends them over to okay. me to check out, which is really cool. Yeah. Um, so I, I haven't had the chance to check it out, but I, I've watched all the other ones, the Secret Space, you know what I mean, all that. So they're pretty good documentaries. I do recommend them to everybody. Um, so I guess let's go ahead and take our quick break, and when we get back, we can kind of touch on the ancient astronaut theory and the Secret sure. Space program, because um, I know a lot of people are interested in that as well. Um, so we'll go ahead and take our quick uh, break and we'll be back right after these messages. This is your host, Jesse Peak. Check out our official website at UFO Encounters Worldwide 
www.wordpress.com. Read up on UFO articles, including abductions, close encounters, sighting cases, megalithic structures, and more. Also, check out our new Facebook group. You'll get updates on guests every week, new events coming up, and our schedule of who we're going to have on in the future. Again, that's UFO Encounters Worldwide Facebook group and our website at ufoencountersworldwide.wordpress.com. Introducing the new and sought-after book, Spiritual Consciousness, A Personal Journey, by author and experiencer Kevin J. Briggs. See the photos of what Kevin witnessed and links for the book at ufoencountersworldwide.wordpress.com or in the description of the episode below. Again, that's Spiritual Consciousness, A Personal Journey, by Kevin J. Briggs. UFO Encounters Worldwide wants to hear from you. Have an experience or a sighting you want to share? Contact your host, Jesse Peak, at ufoencountersworldwide at gmail.com today. UFO Encounters Worldwide would like to announce our brand new home at the Unex Network. Listen to us every Saturday at 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time to hear UFO Encounters Worldwide podcast. That's on the UNX Network. We're happy to announce that Project Bat Tech 404 is now the official sponsor of UFO Encounters Worldwide. Have you or someone you know had an electrical malfunction that's associated with the UFO sighting? Well, you can report that directly to Project Bat Tech 404, and one of our team members will reach out and help you through the case. Also, if you want to go check out our website, go to projectbattech404.wordpress.com. Again, that's projectbattech404.wordpress.com, the official sponsor of our show. All right, welcome back to the second half of episode 96 with our special guest, Mike Barra. Um, so I guess let's uh, continue on with the ancient astronaut theory. Um, was there something that, that really struck you when, when you when you found out about ancient aliens and, and the whole theory that really got you hooked on it? And, you know, what, what was that? How did it go? Well, yeah, I think it was it was Eric von Daniken's book, Chariots of the God, you know, Gods, which is a... Uh, you know, it's the Bible of this whole thing. And I thought he made a very convincing case. You know, he agrees that there's a few things he got wrong, but they were pretty minor in reality. And his whole, whole overall case was, I thought, quite fascinating. I mean, why would you, why would an ancient civilization carve out glyphs on a flat plain in the middle of Peru that can only be recognized from the sky, you know, from space? and from high altitudes. It doesn't make any sense if you couldn't fly, you know, airplanes back then. Right. So, you know, that kind of stuff, the, the lines of Nazca lines and all these mysteries that he brought up, I think were really, really interesting. And that got me 
fascinated by the theory. And, and again, then Richard Hovland's work was like Chariots of the Gods on Mars <laughs> and then Chariots of the Gods on the Moon. And, and because you could verify these, you could, you, know, you could still land a rover on or near the face on Mars and drive around. And I guarantee you, if we had honest film, honest video, honest pictures, you're going to see artificial stuff all over that thing. So, you know, I, I just feel like that the thing that was attractive to me about the whole ancient alien question was the fact that it was verifiable on other worlds because it makes no sense that if aliens were here in this solar system, you know, eons ago, that they would only visit Earth. Of course they would visit the moon. Of course they would visit Mars. And, you know, the more we find out about Mars, the more it looks like uh, it's been habitable in the, in the distant past. Oh, maybe not so distant. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, they're finding more and more stuff, you know, um, that is very similar across the globe too, like the pyramids in China and in South America and in and the, the pyramid to Giza, you know what I mean? They're all mm -hmm. very, very similar, which is interesting. How did the civilization all know to build the same kind of structure? You know? Yeah. And, and that's what makes me wonder if this isn't ancient human architecture, because not necessarily alien, because you look at like there's one example I give, I think it's in Ancient Aliens on Mars, and I do this in my presentations around that floor. There's one pyramid in Elysium, which is an interesting region because Carl Sagan made a big deal out of it in his, uh, his Cosmos TV show back in 1980. You know, he talked about the pyramids of Elysium, right? <laughs> which are these tetrahedral pyramids, which are fascinating all by themselves, if you know anything about Hoagland's work. Um, and... Um, you know, there, there's a picture of a pyramid there, and I looked at it, and it exactly matches pyramids in China. I mean, literally, they, even the way it slumps and the way it's eroding is exactly the same. I mean, you overlay the two pyramids, and they're exactly the same. So if the one in China is, in fact, artificial, which we know, then isn't it logical that the one that's partially buried on Mars is also artificial? And I think it, I think the answer to that is yes. Yeah, and I, I think that's why, you know, it, well, religion is the main reason, but I think, you know, everybody realizes if we find, figure there's life that have been on other planets that have been here as well, you know, it kind of messes that whole, whole, you know, following line behind different religions and, and the world economy and, you know, all that, you know, free energy and gas mm -hmm. and electric, you know what I mean? So I think they fear that in a sense. Do you get that? Yeah. Is that what you feel as well with that? Yeah. Um, and, you know, it's um, the religion thing to me is overplayed. It was a big part of the Brookings report, but I don't think that's the reason at this point. I think I think the reason is more economic and cultural from a cultural shock perspective. Um, well, I guess religion would be a cultural shock. <laughs> so, I, you know, I don't think it's I don't I think it's more just the, the economics of stuff, because when you get into the questions of um it, if there are, was an alien civilization on Mars, for instance, and it's gone now, the next question is, well, what happened to it? And if the answer to that is, well, there's this planet that isn't here anymore that exploded and wiped them out. And then you know, the next question is, excuse me, planets can explode? We live on a planet, <laughs> right? So in other words, there's all these, there's these, this domino effect. You have no idea which way it's going to go. So I think that's why the suppressions. Uh, is maintained.
Okay. Okay. Yeah. Uh, Chariots of the Gods was the first book that I read. Um, and, <laughs> and I was absolutely hooked from that point on. And I, I think a lot of people were. So I totally agree that it was like, you know, an eye opening aspect of the whole theory, which was really, really cool. Mm-hmm. Um, so you also wrote some stuff on the secret space programs. Um, and, uh, you know, are you Randy Kramer and Corey Good? You know, they talk about the secret space programs and, and going, you know, into the future, fighting different wars, and then coming back and being their same self. Um, what is your opinion on that? Um, well, the thing about Corey is, you know, he's always been really nice to me. So I don't want to trash him too hard, but I think he's been kind of exposed as having made it all up. So um, I think that, you know, you can't trust this stuff. But having said that, I am firmly convinced that there has been a secret space program. Um, there has been a secret space program around for decades and probably since about 1958, when I'm pretty convinced we figured out anti-gravity propulsion. Right. And uh, I wrote that, I think, in my book, Hidden Agenda. And um you know, so I, I think it exists, but I think the evidence of it existing isn't very good. There are people who say they've been through the secret space program, but a lot of them are emotionally disturbed. So the question is, do they believe in the secret space program that they were part of it because they're emotionally disturbed or are they emotionally disturbed because of what they saw in the secret space program? Right. You know what I mean? It's like, right. you don't know, but you can't, you can't trust those personal testimonies. I don't think that much. I prefer to look at, at, you know, videos from the shuttle and things like that, that show these, these powered vehicles operating in non-Newtonian ways, non under non-Newtonian physics rules um, in low earth orbit and think, okay, that's either an alien spacecraft or we have some really bitching technology that uh, we haven't told people about. Right. And that was my next question, you know, because you kind of mentioned it earlier, you know, it could possibly be possibly be us in the future. You know what I mean? Um, Do you think that it's part that and maybe an extraterrestrial species or do you have your own opinion on that? Um, I think it's both. I think I think, by the way, I make a distinction between extraterrestrial and alien. Okay. Extraterrestrial. Somebody who's an extraterrestrial could be. 100% 100% completely human, but lives on a base on Mars. You know, that's to me an extraterrestrial. An alien is something that's not from around here and isn't originally part of this human race, the, the human race that, that we are a part of. Um, but, you know, I, I really think that, um, I think it's both. I think it's some of it is our technology and a lot of it is their technology, them flying around. So you think like, uh, like, for example, there's, there's evidence of the TR-3B. Um, and, you know, do you think that a lot of these triangular craft that we see flying in our skies is us in the future? Or do you Yeah, you know, it's, or, well, I don't know if it's from the future. Or for us from but, today, you know. Right. We had, we had kind of had a, we kind of had a, uh, I mean, I had some security clearances, not very high, but I had some when I was younger, working in the industry. And it used to be kind of a joke if it's shaped like a like a chocolate chip cookie it's probably one of theirs if it's shaped like a dorito it's probably one of ours so we used to call these triangular things the dorito you know and i suspect that um i suspect that we've perfected the anti-gravity effect more with the triangular craft and i think we're struggling with it 
the disc-shaped objects. So, you know, it's uh, to me, it's it's um, the time travel thing. I, you're talking to somebody. I don't believe time travel is possible, to be honest with you, at least not in this linear three-dimensional existence we're in right now. Um, so, you know, that's kind of where I'm at. Okay. Okay. Um, so going to, I guess, um, uh, I guess we can go back to the face on Mars and, and the different structures there. Um, besides the face on Mars and the city of Mars, are there any other structures on Mars that were, that aren't really in the public realm that we don't know of today? That I don't, I wouldn't say that we, sorry. I wouldn't say that we don't know of because there's all these great people like Rami Bar Ilan on, um, on, uh, Facebook is doing some great work, and Martine Graney, they have Facebook groups where they're putting stuff out all the time from the rovers. Um, but I think uh, there's a guy named Neville, uh, what's his last name? He's Scottish. It's, um, I want to say Neville Chamberlain, but that's the former prime minister of Britain. Uh, I, but he's, he's found this thing that uh, I call the Vatican City on Mars, which is indisputably undeniable. Um, artificial city structure that's been eroded. And there's just no question. You can't even discuss it. And that's not very well known. So I think that it's really important to, um, that would be one of the ones that if somebody asked me, can you show me something on Mars that you think proves your theory? I'd be like, yeah, here's this picture. Um, God, I gotta, I gotta remember Neville's last name. I just can't right now. That's all right. Now, do you think that there's any type of civilization on Mars or the moon still at this point? Probably. You know, I mean, it's really interesting because when we had the whole thing with where we, we had the issues with uh, ASU back in the early 2000s, Arizona State that was running the uh, Mars Odyssey 2001 program and their infrared camera, you know, we had Keith Laney do some enhancement work for us. And you could see a city buried under the sand. At, at Sidonia and, and Hopeland thinks covered it was a little bit of sand with a big bunch of ice like it got filled in with water and it just froze the city solid but you could see you could see all these streets and buildings and tunnels and train stations and and all this stuff but you wouldn't be able to see that unless the lights were still on so I suspect really strongly based on the infrared images and I wish we had a lot more that um I, I, I think that the lights are still on, and I do think these bases are still operational. Whether they're manned or not is an issue. And, of course, you have lots of people saying, well, you know, there's, um, you know, there's, there's U.S. bases on Mars, Russian bases on Mars. You know, who knows the truth of all that stuff? Yeah, that's what I was going to ask you, because we, we, ha we have the new Space Force now. You know, do you think that they made that particular branch because of what's going on in space and the things they're finding in photographs and on radar? Um, I don't know. I don't know how to answer that because um, can you put it another way? <laughs> yeah, no. Uh, do you think like, for example, we, you know, they, they created Space Force because we are finding things that are unidentified flying in our airspace. Sure. Um, things that, you know, astronauts are saying they're seeing outside their window flying orbiting Earth, um, things like that. Do you think that Space Force is in the know and that's why we kind of created that that branch? Well, no, no, I, I think Space Force is to have an excuse to start putting out the technologies they've had for a long time. 
That that's why. Oh, oh, look, Space Force has been researching new propulsion systems. Oh, look at this. We can go to Mars in two days now, or nine hours, or you know, instead of instead of uh, nine months, it only takes nine hours to get to Mars. That's what I think Space Force's function is, or will be when when we get the proper uh, leadership back in uh, our government. Okay. So I really think that 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 it, it's basically a cover to release technologies that have been controlled and hidden for, you know, 40, 50, 60, 70 years. Right. That's, that's what I think Space Force is all about. Yeah, because I had heard like a big laugh factor when it came to Space Force. And it was like, you know, it's kind of just like, a, you know, people didn't weren't happy about being transferred to Space Force from the Air Force, you know, and they were saying it's just a joke. You know what I mean? Uh, so that that would make complete sense, you know, <laughs> never thought yeah. about it like that, you know? Yeah, yeah, I think that. Um, I, I just think that's the purpose of the whole thing being created is we want to get out from under this, um, the weight of this, you know, technological pressure that we're under. And, and this is a way, a great way to do it. I think we'll get, we'll get a lot of medical healing technologies and things like that, that were probably developed and, and rocketry and propulsion and all kinds of cool stuff. Now, what's your thought on um, Philip Corso um, slowly introducing different companies with different technologies to get them, you know, re-engineered and out into the public? Uh, I think Corso is a legitimate guy. And, you know, it just, it kills me that there are so many people sometimes in the UFO community that want to attack people when they come out with, with new stories, especially when, you know, what Corso said, you really can't attack um the information he provided, because it's it, a lot of it is verifiable. Like, oh yeah, guess what? When was the transistor introduced? Well, what was it, 1950 or whatever it was? Um, so the timeline all works, and you know, then you got other guys that come out and basically everything they say turns out to be BS. Right. And I'm more suspicious of them, obviously. But it's like I think Corso is a very credible guy in terms of witnesses. I know I know people like uh, Clifford Stone uh, was a wonderful man and didn't have a dishonest bone in his body. So he was trying to tell you everything that he saw. He, you know, he was on the crash retrieval teams. Right. And, and he saw a lot of stuff that was very upsetting to him. So, you know, I, I think that, that he's, a, he's an honest guy. So it's just, Corso's up to me is on the honest side of this. Right, okay. Um, so I've done, you know, I looked into research about stuff that was, you know, before the before Roswell, just to see how far back it goes, the, the right. accounts of UFOs and such. And then there was the mystery airship sightings that happened in the late 1800s. Mm -hmm. um, and, and these people said they actually seen other humans coming out of these objects. Um, yeah. Do you think that it was us from the future then at that point, maybe, or it was that we kind of had somebody that figured some kind of propulsion out? Well, no, I don't think that. Uh, I think, well, I think it was the latter part. I think we figured out some propulsion. Um, you know, there was this, uh, I talk about that in Hidden Agenda. There was this thing called the Sonora Air Club um, back before we really had any flying machines of any type. And there are these really exquisite drawings of designs for airships and how they would be powered mechanically and stuff. And, and I, I don't know, in, in the book, I talk about how a bunch of Germans basically German scientists and researchers made their way across the United States, emigrated to the U.S., and, and hung out in Sonora, California for hmm. 10 years. And then after 10 years, 
they seem to have disappeared and dissolved. But the airship sightings started in the late, I think it was 1870s. And then the path of the airships goes back across the United States, tracing the same path as some of these Sonora Air Club members did. It's like they're following the path back and then they sort of, the sightings disappear. They stop around Germany or Silesia where they had the Nazi Bell experiments like almost a century later, 80 years later. So I think they made some sort of anti-gravity breakthrough or flying technology breakthrough and they were taking it back to the motherland, you know, or the fatherland, whatever. Germany, I think, is the fatherland, right? Right. They're taking it back. And uh, I think they went to these very isolated places to do this research and found something and took it back. So um, that's why I think they were manned by humans. So I think when people saw humans coming out of it, you know, that was uh, that was the root of those stories. Now, there's other things like the Aurora crash in 1897, Aurora, Texas, where it does appear to be an alien and appears to be an alien spacecraft. And that's a quite extraordinary story. That's also an alien agenda that's in the book too. So, you know, it's really, it's really hard when you go back that far because records were not kept very thoroughly right. back in those days. So I guess going off the Germany thing and the Germans, um, I was recently reading about New Schwabenland and, and the, the supposed research that was going on in Antarctica. Um, what is your take on that? Do you think that they were there in underground bases or do you think they're still there today? What is your thoughts on that? Well, yeah, I do. I think that uh, there were bases there. I mean, if you look at Operation High Jump, it was basically an invasion of Antarctica. Right. And why would you do that? Um, right after the war I, I mean why to have arctic fighting capabilities i guess i guess if we were going to invade the soviet union in the dead of winter we would want to know how to fight in the snow but it is really kind of bizarre how they were only there for a short time and they left early and they left behind a whole bunch of expensive equipment yes you know and it does seem like they got their asses kicked and the, and the <laughs> stories you know if you look at some of the stuff that uh, admiral bird said it's it, it's pretty pretty interesting story. It doesn't seem like nothing happened. It doesn't seem like there was an easy explanation. I wish we had um, a few on the record witnesses that were part of that operation, but we really don't. You know, people like like a Jesse Marcel from Roswell that would say, "Yeah, I was there. We saw these flying things." It makes complete sense because if you look at if you look at like their, their development of these wonder weapons and Hans Hans Kamler, you know, the guy who was in charge of these secret weapons programs i mean you know he died after the war four times there's four different versions of him dying and so it's like well maybe he didn't die and then, then there are the stories that he took these technologies and he went to antarctica and i, I mean it, it, everything fits there's nothing to say that that didn't happen where you can say absolutely that didn't happen no hans kamler absolutely you know didn't sneak away and didn't didn't take all this technology and and if you look at the bell and what it was rumored how it was rumored to perform what it was rumored to be about i think it's an anti-gravity reactor that's what i think it, it was and if you look at the hannibals right or whatever they call how, how do you pronounce it hannibal, hannibal i've never yeah, figured i don't know <laughs> the classic hannibal flying saucer you see this cupola this this bulge in the center and it's if you put if you put the Nazi bell inside that bulge, it fits perfectly. So I think that was the reactor 
that powered these German flying saucers. So it, it makes it makes complete sense to me. Te from a technological standpoint, the design makes sense. Absolutely, so, I agree. Yeah. Um, yeah, I thought it was really interesting too about the, the two U-boats that were supposedly sent to Antarctica and appeared, you know, weeks after the war in South, I think it was Asia or South America or somewhere like that. Um, and they were said to supposedly have transferred maybe important personnel and items to Antarctica before surrendering um, the both two U-boats, which was interesting. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you have Joseph Farrell's stories of, uh, of you know, U-boats after the war being captured right. and having all this uranium. And, you know, I mean, there's a pretty strong argu argument to be made that the atomic bombs that we detonated over Hiroshima and Nagasaki were German. They weren't, they weren't American because we didn't have enough uranium to, to set off one bomb, much less three, you know? Right. So um, we had Trinity and then we had Hiroshima and Nagasaki. So there's just so much that we don't know about that period that almost anything could be true, really. Yeah, and it was interesting too about how a lot of the, the high up German soldiers had disappeared. Um, you know, and they say maybe they, they wandered into different uh, parts of the world and kind of implemented themselves that way with secret societies and, and still continuing the work that they were doing, um, which is really interesting. And I mean, we didn't get very far in the space race without Werner von Braun. So it does yep. make sense. Absolutely. Um, do you think he was in the know um, about being visited and, and, and the propulsion systems of the advanced technology that was going on? It's really hard to... Um... It's really hard to answer that because there's so many conflicting stories about Von Braun, you know, and, and on the one hand, you look at him and he's, he's just a rocket scientist. He's a rocket guy. And if he really knew all this inside stuff, would, wouldn't the rockets have been built easier? And, you know, wouldn't we have done things better? And, you know, I mean, Saturn V was an amazing machine, but um, I just feel like we, would we have made more progress? And then I've written a lot about Von Braun and Choice and a Dark Mission about you know, how we think he figured out the secrets of anti-gravity and rotational technologies and things like that through the hit and miss aspects of the space program. So on the one hand, it kind of looks like he wasn't in on this alien technology stuff. He was responsible for developing the, um, the conventional technologies. But on the other hand, you have people like, you know, Carol Rosen tells the story of what he told her and that he seems to be connected. I know Hermann Oberth was definitely, who was his mentor in, in Germany, um, definitely said, said to Eric von Daniken, you know, that we had help from people from other worlds in our techno technological designs. And Eric is not BSing me about that. But right. he actually had him as a guest at his hotel in Switzerland once. And he said, no, that story is true, that, yeah, we had help from people from other worlds. Yeah. So, you know, but I, I look at what Von Braun accomplished and how he behaved and what he studied. And it's like, no, I think he's a conventional rocket guy. Okay. You know, because I, I, I believe there's these two branches. There's the secret space program branch and there's the public conventional program right. branch. And I believe that they separated those. And, you know, they, they just didn't know about each other. Well, I mean, they knew about the public one, obviously, but the public guys did not know about the secret space program, at least not in any great detail. They yeah. probably knew it existed, but that's about as far as it goes. That would make sense. Absolutely. Yeah, I agree. Um, 
So it looks like we're at the end. Um, do you want to tell everybody where they, I, I'll make sure I put it in the description of the episode too, um, but where they sure. can get your book, where they can follow you at and uh, see all your research and your work. Sure. You can get any of my books on amazon.com. Um, just type in my name and stuff will come up. You can get them also, any of the ones that are published by David Childress at Adventures Unlimited, you can go to adventuresunlimited.com. And uh, my blog is mikebarra.blogspot.com. And you can just go there. I think if you go to Google and type in my name, that's the first thing that comes up, along with a lot of other people attacking me. (laughs) (laughs) They might might have put the, uh, you know, the haters up first, and then me, my actual site second or third (laughs) is going to I, I just get in trouble all the time for the things I say. Uh, and yeah, uh, you guys can come and see me. I'm going to be at the Edinburgh UFO Festival in Edinburgh, Texas. That is going to be on uh, August 11th and 12th of this year. So come on down to Edinburgh and see me there. And then there's the alien event Las Vegas I'm going to be doing with uh, Laura Eisenhower, speaking of the Secret Space Program, and a lot of other people. That's September uh, 14th through the 17th at the Alexis Park Resort. And then I'm doing the Ufology World Congress in Barcelona, Spain the next week, September 22nd and 24th. So if you're in Spain, come by and see me there. And then uh, in October, I don't have the exact date yet, UFO Congress in Istanbul, Turkey. So got a lot of traveling coming up these next few months. And, uh, you know, come out, come out to Edinburgh, come out to the alien event in Las Vegas. Vegas is, is going to be great because, you know, it's a, Lots of other things to do in Vegas besides go to a UFO conference. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Staying busy. That's cool, though. Um, but I want to thank you, Mike, for coming on today and, and sharing all this information and answering all my crazy questions. <laughs> um, I appreciate it. You know, it's a conversation I've been wanting to have with you for a long time. So thank yeah. you. Sorry, you're welcome. I was going to say, in this business, every question is crazy. So <laughs> <laughs> That's true. Very no true. Um, all right. Well, I want to thank everybody uh, for tuning into today's episode. We'll make sure we put all Mike's links in the uh, description of the episode so you can go over to his blog spot and follow him. Um, and I want to thank everybody for tuning in. And we'll be back next week with another episode. And until next time, remember to keep your eyes in the sky. Well, I want to thank our special guest today, Mike Barr, for coming on and sharing his research and investigations that he's done um, into the truth behind the moon landings, um, his appearances on ancient astronaut theory, um, and as well as the secret space programs. Um, Great information, um, definitely hot topics in today's field of ufology. Um, Please go ahead and check out our sponsor also. His new book, Kevin Briggs' new book, is now a bestseller, the bestseller at BMK Publishing. You can go ahead and get his book over at our website called Spiritual Consciousness, A Personal Journey. And you can get that at ufoencountersworldwide.wordpress.com, as well as some of what you can expect in the book as well. Next week, we actually have a special guest. Kevin Briggs coming on to share about his book and to talk about his experiences with non-human intelligences and his introduction to consciousness. So uh, we have a lot of cool stuff to go over next week. So I hope you guys all tune in and I hope you guys enjoyed today's episode. We'll be back next week with our special guest, Kevin Briggs. And until next time, remember to keep your eyes in the sky. Thank you.